You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, Sports Radio 94 WIP. I am Elliot Shore Parks, and I am, of course, with Kyle Newbeck, who I know already has a fire New Year's resolution ready for this year. I know you got one, got one in the pocket. You seem like a big New Year's resolution guy. I honestly am not, although I think this year it's going to be the very cliche, uh, just get back to the gym more often <laughs> type of deal. Because I was I was in a really good groove from about May until the wedding. Yeah. And, you know, the wedding was good motivation to uh, to go all the time. But once that wedding hit and you're on the honeymoon and you come back and it's, you know, I'm getting back in the swing of things at work. It's just like, man, you always that's always one of the first things to drop out. So dude, it's it's unbelievable. Like uh so I, I got married in July, so a few a few months before you. And for the first like six or seven months for the wedding, I was killing it. What like gym all the time, diet was on like and then when I for the wedding, I was like, All right, Elliot, you're finally in shape, you're gonna keep it up. And it's unbelievable for everyone out there that has been married recently or married before, I'm sure you can sympathize. It's unbelievable how quickly you put all that weight right back on like with the the motivator of the wedding gone it's like "Eh, we might as well have that extra drink or like whatever let's let's eat out we're celebrating we're just married and all of a sudden it's like all that work down the drain the good news is the photos the photos were fire that that makes the working out worth it exactly so you know that's (laughs) i'll be with all the other people that uh regular gym goers get annoyed at the new year just uh trying to get back in back in that groove you always see those posts on Twitter and Instagram. Like everyone thinks they have the most original idea ever. I'm going to tweet about how there's new people at the gym and how it's annoying. <laughs> just, just, just let people do their thing. Let people get in shape. But speaking of people that used to be overweight, no longer overweight and has held it off Zion last night and the Pelicans just, I don't want to say annihilated the Sixers, but I'll say this. It was not a great way to spend a Friday night watching the Sixers basically not compete from the jump. They, they pulled it together in the third, but then the Pelicans, uh, you know, ultimately pull away. Um, I want to get your takes on this first. To me, there were very, some clear takeaways as to why they lost this game and some clear big picture kind of problems. But what were your biggest takeaways from that loss? Well, CJ McCollum absolutely destroyed them. So yeah. that was fun. Yes. Uh, um, I mean, like that, we could honestly start there and just say, there's some of it that's just you you say the guy shot the lights out and those nights happened and whatever. But there were a lot of self-inflicted wounds in that game. Like I 
every time Zion Williamson was on the court and Joel Embiid was not, it was like they just rolled out the red carpet for Zion mm-hmm. to go to the rim. It, it sort of gets at why I'm so down on Montrez Harrell as a rotation guy for this team because he just does nothing defensively. He's an energy guy who has no energy for an entire side of the floor. Yeah. Doesn't box out, doesn't rebound. It's just like he drives me a little crazy. And so I get, even though I don't think Paul Reed is really ready to be a full-time backup guy, I, I just, I understand why there are a lot of fans who are like, please get Paul Reed in these games. Man, so <laughs> I have down on my notes, uh, and this will be a bigger topic I want to talk to you about today, but Montrez Harrell just cannot be played in any big moments. And, and I'm a little concerned the Sixers don't have many guys at all that you can put on the floor in big moments. Obviously, they have, you know, Embiid, Harden, Tobias, clearly. And I don't even know about PJ anymore. I get you could argue he's probably still in that group. But I thought what showed last night was this team just doesn't have a lot of depth or guys. And, and uh, DeAnthony Melton would, would be there, too. But this team just doesn't have a lot of guys that you can go to if you don't have the starters out on the floor. Their bench just is not ready for these primetime moments. And last, last night was not primetime. But you look at the Pelicans, they don't even have Brandon Ingram. He's not playing. And they mm-hmm. look deeper. They look, it, you know, they're way better than the Rockets. But I thought it showed a lot of the same problems in terms of the uh, Pelicans, A, tried harder. B, I thought they just looked more athletic than the Sixers. They were more pesky, if that's a good way to put it, in terms of just being all over the Sixers. And they made the Sixers look slow. And they made their bench look absolutely terrible. Um, I mean, Maxi was, was not good. But, yeah, I think with Harrell, what really showed up was this guy – in the playoffs, and I honestly feel this way about George Niang too, but these guys are not ready or really able to play big moments in, in the big games that are coming up for the Sixers. And I feel that way about Matisse Thibel too. Yeah. Like he didn't, oh, there were a lot of people clamoring for him last night. And I do think there were, there was some justification for saying, look, CJ is going off. Just put Thibel in there. He, he blocked the three that McCollum took, of course. McCollum picked it right back up and then assisted somebody <laughs> on that play. So it didn't end up mattering. But it's like, you know, this is the guy who can cause chaos, who will maybe block a shot, steal the ball a few times, whatever. I can understand the justification for playing him, but I just I watch him run his man into potential driving lanes for, you know, Melton and Maxi and Harden. And I'm like, what is this dude doing out there? Like, what yeah. he is not helping you on the side of the floor that I think we have both agreed is the side of the floor. They really need to win on, on offense. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too focused on the bench. Cause I do think we saw a couple big themes that we've talked about come up in that game last night. Yeah. Maybe, well, one big theme and one that was maybe more of an outlier. I thought James Harden did not take care of the basketball at all. I think he, I want to say he ended up with seven turnovers. Yep, seven. I think I think five of those are like the worst James Harden turnovers I've ever seen. <laughs> there was a pass he threw to uh, Alvarado in the first half where he turned through the ball as if it was going to go to an open shooter. And Alvarado is just like yeah, hands right. up waiting there. And it's like, bro, what are you doing? How did like <laughs> guy who's got some of the best vision in the league, just throwing it right to the opponent. Um, and then on top of that, Alvarado scores James catches the inbounds pass and like gives him a little chicken wing. Yeah. And he obviously is going to go down there. That's this guy's whole game. He's like, 
basically the the Pelicans version of TJ McConnell mm-hmm. a few years ago, and draws an offensive foul and another turnover right in a row. So a lot of stupid, stupid turnovers from James that many of them turn into CJ McCollum threes, which that wasn't good. And then on the other side of that, I think the thing that was worse was watching them run offense or maybe not run offense in the fourth quarter. I thought Joel was about as good as it gets for three quarters of that game, at least on offense. And then they did the same thing we've been talking about lately where they get to the fourth quarter and they're not actually running anything. The pick and rolls that got him the ball at good spots and gave him one-on-one matchups to attack, those disappeared. And it's just, hey, Joel, you have the ball at the elbow and that's all we're going to do. Like, you figure it out. And it turned into Joel either tried to take a mid-range jumper or drive at somebody, which I don't really want to see him dribbling a lot in those mm. spots. And he turned the ball over and missed shots. And that was that was the game right there. Like they had I still don't think they win. I, I just don't think they were good enough to beat the Pelicans, who were really good last night. But they would have at least given themselves a chance if they made an attempt to run offense. And that again falls on Joel and James and Doc, all three of them. Um, so this is my first time to watch the Pelicans for a full game this year. They are really good. They have, I mean, they're young, so I don't want to say they're a true title contender because they haven't been through a lot of big games and playoff series and things. But man, that roster looks really good. And again, they didn't even have Brandon Ingram, um, who I who I liked ahead of Ben Simmons in the draft, by the way. For all the Noah Von Lay haters <laughs> out there, you can go check my tweets. I wanted Ingram over Ben Simmons. But I have a few things off of what you said, um, but let, let's focus on the end of game, I guess, offense, because you would think that if there's any value of having a veteran point guard that should control the game and be able to score, it's in those moments when you need to, to just to calm the offense down, make sure you run your play, make sure that you're running the things you need to run in big moments. And then also the benefit of having Doc Rivers, of having a veteran head coach. Now, I think you can also put this on Embiid because he's the best player and he is the leader. But the bottom line is, if you're not going to be the primary ball control, primary ball handler, it's not on you as much in those big moments to get the offense set up. And it's not on you like it is the head coach. So as someone that's around the team all the time, why is this happening? Because they would seem to have the players that would prevent this exact problem. I, so it's bewildering to me because – It'd almost be easier if this team was just playing bad for four quarters and it looked like, all right, this team has quit on the coach. They're not listening to the message, whatever it is. Instead, it's like I thought offensively they executed really, really well for three quarters of that game and then just decided, you know, we're not going to do any of that anymore. And I like as much as we want to pin it on Doc, and there's certainly like if if he can't get these guys to continue following the game plan, that's definitely an issue. If these guys are going to go out there and just abandon what worked for three quarters, like I don't think Doc is going into the huddle and saying, all right, guys, next 12 minutes, (laughs) isolations only. We're not doing anything other than throwing the ball, the dwell at the elbow, and nobody moves. Like That's not how any coach operates. And Doc's big thing is – Something works, stick with it. Like he's not going into the third quarter or between fourth quarter timeout and directing these guys like, all right, guys, we need to kill the clock. Like there's just that's not happening. So mm-hmm. I tend to put most 
of the blame on the two guys who are there supposed to be their stars. And I, I just don't know how you get them out of this habit that this is that like, it, it looks good and fine. Basically when Joel is just hitting a bunch of mid range jumpers and, you know, frankly, he's doing that more often than not this year. So I get why they feel justified in doing that, but it's just not, it clearly is not working because even in these games that they've won, they've had struggles at the end of games and it's just infuriating. So I hesitate to compare Joel Embiid and James Harden to Carson Wentz because I know that's a, a sensitive subject in Philadelphia. But my one of my, I mean, honestly, my main takeaway last night um, was that you're right. Doc Rivers is not the problem. I, now, when I say that at the end of games, he should be better and help. Ideally, you want that. But as we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about, this team is going to go where Joel and Harden take them. And the reason I bring up Carson is because in 2020 and really kind of throughout Carson's career with the Eagles, he had a turnover problem. And, you know, every game he would say, I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to get better at it. He never got better at it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that once he left and a quarterback stepped in and Jalen Hurts, that's better at taking care of the ball. The entire team got better at it. Your team is pretty much a reflection of your leadership and your best players. And as good as Joel and Harden are, and they are, man, I've come around. Harden is been has been awesome recently. Joel might be the most unstoppable offensive player in the league right now when you consider his size, his mid-range, all that stuff. They are so talented. But their flaw is they're so careless. And I think sometimes it's an effort thing. It's a being mentally checked in thing. There were a few throw, throws, la- or not throws. There were a few passes last night where Joel just threw it out of bounds twice. I mean, one just over the head of, I think it was PJ and Melton in the corner. Another one where he thought Harden was going to be there and he just tosses it away. You look at what cost this team the game in the first half. It was turnovers. It was flat out turnovers. I think the Pelicans, I wrote this down, had 25 points off of 13 turnovers. And the two main culprits were your two best players. And as long as their two best players are going to have an issue with turnovers, it's it's not going to change. If the attitude from the top is a carelessness and also, let's be real, a somewhat of a of an effort issue, you know, and, and I'm still high on this team. I still think that, especially in the regular season, there's going to be games like this. And I think when this team is checked in, they are really good. And in the playoffs, you would presume they're going to be really checked in. But the turnovers and the effort thing directly come from the two best players, like flat out. We can blame Doc. We can talk about the role players. We can talk about playing Thibault more. The two main problems with this team, it's not even talent. It's turnovers and effort. And I think they both come from Joel and Harden. Well, and the so on the latter, on effort, like rebounding still remains a problem for this team at times. Like that's one of those where I, I agree with you that they'll probably get more consistent effort and more like mental preparation in a playoff setting. Yeah. But when you aren't consistent on that front in the regular season, I don't tend to believe that's something that you're just going to find when the playoffs come. Like you need to build habits and, and be a team that, you know, if, if you get out executed or a team just out shoots you on a given night, like, Fine, that's great. But to give away possessions and give teams second chances, third chances that you know most teams are going to punish you if they get extra opportunities, those only get you. They're going to create more in the playoffs because that team is also raising their level in terms of effort and mental prep and all that stuff. Unless they're just one of these ultra try hard teams that they should beat 
anyway. But right. I just, I don't know, man. There's just a lot of stuff. They're they're a bewildering team. I can't decide night to night whether they're a serious team or not. And it, like you said, comes back to the two stars at the center of things because they can go from, you know, start of that game, I thought Joel looked about as locked in to start a game as he has at any point. He's done that recently too, I think. I think the last few games he's come out right away and looked locked in. And both sides of the ball too. Like he scored, I want to say he scored like 15 first quarter points or something like that. But they also did a great job to keep Zion Williamson from getting to the paint. Like all his, he only took a couple shots in the the first quarter, early stages of that game. And they were both mid-range contested jumpers because he just had nowhere to go, like could not get to the paint. And that's a credit somewhat to PJ Tucker, but really a credit to Joel that he didn't want to bark up that tree. And as the game wears on and Zion gets to attack some of the bench guys, then the Sixers start letting up that when their starters are in, and then he it's just really a free for all as they get to the latter stages of that game. And I, they need to be able to sustain this for 48 minutes against good teams, and they have in a couple instances, but this was not one of them. Yeah, and you know I think we both agree that come playoff time, their effort will be better. But let's also not fool ourselves. We saw last year at the end of that Miami series, the team pretty much mentally just completely fell apart. So I think your point about creating habits in the regular season for the playoffs is a really good one. That doesn't mean that this team has to win 65 plus games to be a legit contender. I think the way Joel is playing right now, they will have a chance almost in any playoff series, especially if Harden keeps it up. But yeah, the bottom line is this team has bad habits and these habits are not anything new. It's not like we're coming up here and talking about a loss where, you know, like some random thing that we don't see often really impacted them. I mean, it's turnovers. It's things we talk about. I would say on almost every pod we've done where they've lost a game, we've come on here and talk about turnovers and a lack of effort on defense. And I think those both fall, um, fall, fall on the two main guys. Now, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The other big news from last night was the return of Tyrese Maxey. What'd you think of how he looked? What'd you think of the fact that he didn't start? 
Um, weird minutes usage, like he barely played early on and then kind of played the big minutes late when they were really trying to come back and, and win the game. Just what do you think of him overall? Uh, he looked like a guy who hasn't played basketball since November 19th yes. or 18th or whatever it is. Um, I, I'm not, it's not like a big deal, obviously, because he just needs to get his legs back under him. These guys will always tell you there's a huge difference between, you know, I'm getting practice reps and uh, I'm getting back in the swing of things there and playing at game speed and readjusting the game speed after a layoff is obviously a big deal. I do think he got better as the game went on, at least on offense. Like we saw a lot of uh, attacks along the baseline. He had a, a three, did some stuff that it like did some Tyrese Maxey type stuff, and that was good. Yeah. Like he's, I don't think we saw any noticeable physical drop off. Like I do think we saw the burst a little bit. We didn't really see him in transition, so maybe we didn't see the the top end speed, but. You know, by the end of that game, it started to feel like, all right, he's going to need a couple of games, but he's all right. He'll be, you know, up and running soon enough. Um, obviously, the most interesting thing was him coming off the bench. And I think at least in the first game, that's not going to lead to a whole lot of, you know, speculation and chatter about whether that's going to stick. I did get a text from uh, someone around the NBA, we'll just say. I won't say who. Yeah last night like so are, are people prepared for the fact that Tyrese might never start again wow and I thought that was pretty strong like I still tend to believe that they have to chase that offensive ceiling but I do think it's interesting that you know people who are not not it's not someone like invested in the Sixers not a not yeah. a fan not somebody covering the team uh, locally and they're seeing and they're thinking, you know, Melton has been so good and such a good complimentary piece alongside Harden and Joel that, you know, they're thinking, hey, maybe this will uh, be a permanent thing. So I, I'm I'm very curious to see how they ramp Tyrese up here and if this changes or if they stick with this lineup that they've had going on. Well, it's a super interesting power dynamic because – let's be real, a lot of who decides what starts in the NBA is politics at the end of the day. And if you look at it, what that text to me basically means is Doc ain't benching PJ Tucker is what that pretty much means. It, like it, Because if PJ Tucker is going to stay in the lineup and as is DeAnthony Melton, you're obviously not going to bench Harden. Then where is Tyree starting? You're not going to bench Toby. And even if you do, you're not going to, unless you, I guess, could move Tucker over. But I doubt you're going to bench him and you're clearly not benching Embiid. So the main person you would bench there is Tucker. And that just, to me, that takeaway from that text is Doc Rivers is not benching PJ Tucker. Well, so I don't, I think it's publicly the discussion is about DeAnthony and Tyrese, right? Like I think that if you move Tyrese back to the starting lineup, it makes more sense for on a couple fronts that Melton is the guy because you put him on the bench and he's at least giving you some pop. Like you get some more ball handling. He can shoot, do all the the little things and defend, obviously. Whereas PJ moves to the bench and it's just like, you know, what is he doing? Yeah, what's he bringing like, up? Yeah. He doesn't. And, you know, last night we saw some lineups where PJ, it was a Montrez, PJ, and Niang three through five, which I don't want to ever see that on a basketball <laughs> court again. It's just like completely unplayable. Yeah. But that sort of illustrates the problem, right? Like George has been one of your most reliable role players off the bench. 
So if you know he's playing, you can't once you go to your bench, you can't also plan to have PJ coming in in those minutes because then you just get impossibly slow and teams that are going smaller are going to kill you. The only reason that I am wary of the benching PJ and playing that three guard look, which I know we've talked about a lot, is that there are going to be teams that they just can't defend mm-hmm. with that three guard lineup. And I do think Doc tried very briefly in the fourth quarter last night to give that group a look, and it did not go well. Now, every team is not going to have Zion Williamson on the floor, which right. he kind of blows lineups like that up, and especially a small lineup like that. Yeah. But there are also a lot of, you know, big wings, athletic wings around the NBA, especially on good teams that are also going to kill that lineup. So I'm fascinated to see that's one of the big talking points we've talked about that I've written about moving forward is how much can they use a three guard lineup? Is Tyrese just going to take that starting spot back that I think he's more than earned with his play and the work he's put in over the years, or is doc going to make a, you know, a bold decision and, stick with this group that for the most part has had it working. Well, but my question for you would be, is this team really not going to start Tyrese? You think about the fact that isn't it, isn't it this off season they can max him out or is it the following off season? Yeah, I believe he's extension eligible this off season. So if he's extension eligible and I think he probably still is on path to get it up before the injury, you would have said it's almost no questions asked. He's going to get it leading into this season, but are they really going to not start a guy that in, I don't know, six months or whatever it is, they're going to hand a full max, a full max extension to, or something similar to it. Uh, It'd be a bold move, especially because he has a pretty powerful agent in terms of the NBA landscape. So I don't know how much uh, poking of the bear you want to do there. I do think that they also, they as in the Sixers and they as in Rich Paul and Tyrese's management, they all see that, He's been given a great opportunity here. It's not like he uh, he has suffered being in Philadelphia. His development's been great. He obviously has become a tremendously better player since making the jump to the league. So I think if it came down to that, I think the Sixers would point out all those things. And the other part of it with Tyrese is like, even if they got upset and said, you know, oh, he got demoted, like we don't like that, whatever if they decided they want to try to chase a deal somewhere else, he's a restricted free agent next year. Mm-hmm. So they have the right to match and are keeping him pretty much regardless. The only way it would be a real danger is if he decides he wants to just sign like a one year deal on his next contract. And then, so he can write his own ticket anywhere after that. And, you know, very, very, very few guys, have ever done that because the the long-term money is just too good. And I don't see him doing that, but you know, I I guess we're going to see. Well, and Tyrese um, in my limited, very limited time around him doesn't seem like the troublemaking type. Like he doesn't seem like someone that's going to come in and, you know, throw a fit. And I, you've talked about this too. I think his energy around the team is very important. His youthfulness. You talked about how his lockers, you know, right next to Joel's. I, I think he's an important kind of vibe guy for this team. I don't think the Sixers would want to mess with that. But at the same time, you know, for all the greatness the Sixers have done for him, I guess, in terms of giving him opportunity as a late first round pick and all those things, 
it's about to be payday. And as you mentioned, his representatives and his management are well aware of the huge check that he could get. And that check might not be as big if he becomes a role player. So I know we're projecting pretty far in, into the future, but now that he's back, I think for one game you can get away with, yeah, he's coming off the bench. How do you think this plays out? Do you think they're really going to take him off the bench or is this going to be Melton pretty much heading to the bench? Uh, I personally do not think that they have the, or that Doc has the guts. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word. I don't think he's going to bench Tyrese. Like I think this yeah. is a, this is very much a, a thing where he's just going to go with who they had to start the year. He can write off the record or their, their bad record early in the season as we were trying to figure things out. We didn't have Joel wasn't at full go yet. They were trying to figure out the offensive chemistry and he'll just put Tyrese back out there knowing that he's been great alongside Joel and James, broadly speaking, and they'll live and die with that. I, st- I, I understand why people might think he would be better in a six man role. I do think it sort of ignores the numbers there. Like Tyrese has been much better as part of the Joel and James lineups than he has been as a, like I'm running the offense. I'm the solo ball handler, all that, mm-hmm. because he can do more of the the second side attacking the spot up shooting, running off a of Harden and transition, as opposed to being the guy who's got to run the offense, play, make for others, do all that stuff. So I, I just, I think it's better for him to start just from a pure basketball perspective, like forget all the politics, forget all the other stuff. I think it's much, much better for him. And, you know, if if we say he's one of their three most important players, knowing and playing a lineup that's best for him at all times is not as big a priority as it is for Joel and James, but it's, he's right behind those guys in terms of importance. So, you know, I, I think they do have to keep that in mind. I think they ultimately will. But again, I come back to these li- the lineup with Melton in his place makes a lot of sense on paper and has absolutely destroyed teams for the most part. So, well, and yeah, then it's going to be fun. <laughs> well, yeah, or incredibly tense and ugly, depending how it plays out. But um, yeah. I mean, the other part of this too is, and it's just one game again, but if we're going to do pods after every game, I think we're allowed some room to overreact. Maxi was minus 18, a negative 18 last night. That was the worst on the team. And so when you combine that with the fact that the lineup has been better with Melton on the floor, and it comes back to the same thing about the windows, you know, like if Maxi, you're right. If Maxi's the third most important player on the team, then building some things around him is not crazy. It's not outrageous to say that, okay, this guy's an important part of our future. He probably has the brightest future of anybody considering Joel's age. Yeah. Do some things that work well for him. Those things just don't seem to really work well for every other player on the court in the starting five. So it's the same kind of question. You know, I, I hate to bring up the word trade, even though it is my favorite word. I don't think they're going to trade him this this season. But if they're better with Melton, if he's contract eligible this this offseason and he's and he's not going to start, I don't know. It's the same question again and again. Are, are they better just trading that chip in now and capitalizing on on what on building around Joel and Harden for one final run. Yeah. You don't have to answer it, but it's just what I, it's what I think about when I see him come back and struggle to kind of fit in. Well, and I do think like my, my read on the situation is that nobody is untouchable on this team except for Joel and James. Like those two are not moving this year. Everybody else, there's at least some chance. Now, obviously Mm -hmm. 
the chance is not as big for Maxi as it is, you know, like Matisse Thibel, who I think they'll I I would guess he probably gets moved before the end of the year just because I don't think they want to clearly the way they're playing him, they don't want to pay him in the yeah. offseason. So I think that's that's an obvious one. Tyrese is closer, a lot closer to untouchable than not. But I do think they are cognizant of the idea that, you know, if we're pushing our chips in, if we're really going for it this year, he's clearly the guy that would return the most. Now he'd have to be attached to Tobias most likely just because of the the salary stuff and trying to get somebody back. But uh, I don't think he's quite at that level that they would just like turn down any trade just because his name is in it. They would be very considerate of where he would move. They're not itching to trade him, but I I certainly don't think that he is like, that's definitely the long-term building block guy is what I would say. So was that the case in the Harden deal? Because I remember, you know, following the Harden deal from afar, it was, well, if they give him Maxi, then it's no problem. And they basically refused. And to their credit, they ended up getting him. But do you think that was they an unwillingness to move Maxi at the time or just they didn't view Harden as a piece good enough to move Maxi for? Because it sounds like you're saying now for the right player, and I, I'm guessing it's a short list, you know, KD, Lillard, like guys we've talked about that are legit, legit third stars. But do you think last year it was different with Maxi or the, the Harden piece just wasn't viewed as good enough to, to move him for? I think it was just dependent on the deal, right? Like. The Harden, the initial Harden deal with, or the proposals they're making to Houston, the, a big part of it was like they're trading Ben in that scenario, and yeah. if they're giving up Ben, they don't have any justification to be giving up like other young talents. Because at the time the Houston thing happened, we were not quite at the point with uh, with Ben, we were, yeah. with Ben that everyone was like giving up on him or whatever. So I I think they rightfully held that it's like all right, we have the best young chip in this deal. We're not giving you other, like lots of other stuff too. And they like, to their credit too, they've held the line on, they didn't make a, now I think some of this might've been on Toronto's end, but when they talked about trading with Toronto to get Kyle Lowry for their playoff run that ended up when they lost to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. they had discussed going after Kyle Lowry. And I know Maxi was sort of a, a breaking point or a sticking point in those negotiations. I think that Toronto, I, I'm actually, I might be misremembering. There was, it was Maxi and Thibel were in the mix there. And Toronto was getting really greedy and the Sixers at some point were like, yeah, we're not giving you the moon and the yeah. stars for six months of Kyle Lowry or whatever. And, you know, that ended up working out great because Tyrese Maxi much better than Kyle Lowry is right now. Yes. Lowry looks super washed. And he, yeah, he's um, very cooked and he's very overpaid. Yeah. So they haven't, like, they have not been going out there saying, you know, we want to trade Tyrese. Like, they've drawn the line on multiple occasions. And these are for, like, very good players. Mm-hmm. A great player in James's case at the time. So it's all going to come down to, you know, what is the specific deal? Um, I don't know that he gets, I, I'd say more often than not, he's not getting traded. That was also the other indication I've gotten is that they're not really close to anything on the trade front right now. Now that's famous last words. Some people just like to operate with the, uh, the cone of silence around them. So we'll see if Daryl cooks something up between now and mid February. But I, I do think they're, 
they're willing to make a big move if a big move you know materializes between now and then. What do you think they feel they need more? A big move or this is a chance of turn Toby into, you know, and we've had this discussion, but turn Toby into three guys so that you're not playing Harold, you're not playing Thibault. And as good as Toby is, and he's cooled off a little bit for sure. But do you think they're more likely to make that type of move? Or do you think they're they're star hunting? And I know it's Daryl, so he's kind of always star hunting. But do you think they view this more as we need a big piece or we trust Joel and Harden enough that we can maybe improve the roster around them? Well, I think Daryl always wants a big piece. But <laughs> I don't think that – like think about the trade market right now. Who's the biggest name that we know is like actually available? Well, it, Durant's probably, not- Well, I honestly think the biggest name who's legit available, who we know has been shopped, is like John Collins in Atlanta. Like, <laughs> yeah, and so that that says a lot about you know where we're at right now, and that means the Sixers are probably not making a deal that's bringing back like a true game changing guy. So I tend to think that the deals that they're going to be in for or that they're going to try to make are more of the you know Matisse and Ferk for and like a pick for another solid role player and you try to add depth that like you're moving two for one, but you're going to move it for a guy who's actually going to play every night. It's not like a, Hey, Matisse plays four minutes and commits two fouls and doc is like sit your ass on the bench the rest of the night. It's more of a guy like 28, 29 year old veteran role player who's going to make threes defend at like a competent level. And you just add another body. That's like, that's a guy who we know can play every single night. We'll play 15 to 20 minutes and, you know, that'd probably be fine. Um, I don't know who that is, but I think that's probably more of the, the type of trade that's going to be available to them to, to make this team better. Well, the scary thing about that is, you know, Daryl makes the trades and you can speak more to the dynamic of how, how they decide on who to trade, what the trade is. But if you're talking about trading for role players, Doc better be very clear that he's willing to pay to play those guys before you make the deal, because we've seen, I mean, Paul Reed's an extreme example because they didn't, you know, he wasn't a legit trade piece they traded for or anything, but doc just won't play the guys he doesn't like, and he'll just play the guys that he does like. So in this scenario is Daryl making the trade and saying to doc, look, you have to play these guys. Or is Daryl basically saying, all right, doc, tell me some guys you like that you would actually play and I'll see if I can go get them. Well, speaking of, that's there's almost the case that you have to include Trez in any trade too, yeah. just to get him out of the just out of the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, just to help Doc prevent himself from playing him. I mean, I don't think Daryl is ever going to make a trade that's like blind to what Doc Rivers likes and or prioritizes, right? Like, I, right. I think he's he's he is well aware of what Doc does and how he sets up his rotations, who he likes, all that stuff. I don't think he's making a trade specifically because uh, Doc is requesting it, but I think certainly he takes Doc's input. It's a collaborative process, not just between those two, but other members of the front office and coaching staff. They all kind of get sit down, have these meetings and like, all right, what do we need? What are we missing? What's working well? What's not working well? Like that's a, there's a constant feedback loop there. So I think Daryl will go into the deadline sort of having a, an idea of what all parties are looking for and you know, then look to make the best move from there. 
Yeah, and as frustrating as that might be for, for people to hear, the team works better when everyone's working together. You know, I, I like I like the idea of Daryl just saying, look, these are better players. You have to play them. But the bottom line is it's just better when it's collaborative at, at the end of the day. I have one more Pelicans take I want to get off before uh, we move to a very interesting article you wrote this week, one that certainly caught, caught my attention. Um, CJ McCollum last night. I understand it's an extreme example. He was on fire. Those nights happen. He doesn't look like that every night. But I thought it was another really good example of why it's just so much easier when you have a guard carrying your team that can shoot threes because it's just easier for him to take the game over than it is for Joel. And Joel might be the most unstoppable bucket in the NBA right now, but he has to work so much harder. Even on his effortless, ba effortless baskets, he requires on some somebody else to give it to him, that type of thing. CJ McCollum just went down the court and shot and got a three. It, so it was just, I thought, another example of why having a center as your best player, it can be awesome, all these things. It just It's not the same as when a guard takes the game over. It just flat out isn't the same. And it's also to circle back to another point we were making. That's part of why Tyrese has to be such an integral part of because he's one of the only guys that has like true, I'm just going to go off potential on that yeah. team. Right. Like there are a lot of games this year and last year where they looked kind of dead in the water or not dead in the water. They looked like they're out of sorts and not really in the game. And all of a sudden, Tyrese comes up with, you know, 12 15 points in the span of a few minutes it's just heat checking threes from near the logo like there's mm -hmm. and you just can't there's no way to really guard that like you can try but then once you're coming out that far to defend somebody to defend a guard especially someone with Tyrese's speed he's just going right by you and then that's a layup or it's an easy assist right. to somebody else so yeah I get it I, I still think that Joel has been good enough offensively that he can be a rare exception but it is like it is much harder the way the league is structured today to try to win with your offense running through a big guy in the moments that matter. It also showed me that while the Sixers have guys that can shoot threes, they don't have a guy like McCollum. Like Maxi has shown he can maybe develop into that guy and there's some real signs that he could do it, but he's not doing what McCollum did last night. George Niang is a role-playing three-point shooter. Harden, had been better at three from threes. I think he was shooting 40% over a stretch, but he's not doing what McCollum's doing. I just thought there was a very, very big difference between what we saw from McCollum and what we, ha what we see on this team of, of what shooters are capable of. It was just a different, a different type of shooter real quick on Maxi. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the pod, but you talked, you just mentioned how he bring, how he's able to change the energy on a team. How last year, how he's able to kind of save them. Man, I covered probably 15 Sixers games last year. When he goes off, I don't think there's a better – now the Phillies just had their postseason runs. So maybe I should take this back. But I don't know if there's a more electric-type crowd between a fan, between fans and a player than when Maxi is just taking over, like making threes, making plays on defense. So I do think from that perspective, man, he can really energize the team, and you've seen that especially at home. I mean, you're, you're, you're there more, but it just seems like the crowd goes wild for this guy. Yeah, I mean, he just has a level of love from the fan base that's hard to – it's the the love of a young player that it's like it still feels like yeah. he's got everything in front of him. And he also is just a breath of fresh air compared to, you know, as good as Joel is and as good as Harden has been recently. Like, people feel like they know where the ceiling is for both those guys and, like, sort of where they fit in the, the hierarchy. 
Whereas with Maxi, when he has these, you know, huge moments or huge games, it's like you're seeing a glimpse of what the future might look like yeah. or, you know, what he might be. And so I think that that always plays into it. too. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And there's no baggage with him yet. There's a ton yeah. of baggage with Joel and Harden. Um, all right. So this week you wrote a story about LeBron James off of a quote um, in a press conference where he basically said, I'm, I'm not playing losing basketball anymore. I'm not wasting my time if we're not going to win. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm probably getting a little off the rail. But he, he kind of expressed some dissatisfaction with his situation uh, with the Lakers. Now, my understanding is a trade cannot happen this year, correct? Yeah, he is. So he's not trade eligible until I think it's Valentine's Day, just like five days after the deadline. What do you think the chances are that they actually actually signed that deal six days before we think, and he is eligible because no, it, just, it seems so weird that Clutch would sign away. I'm, I'm mostly kidding, but it just seems weird to someone that is so into making sure he can control every de- decision to miss a deadline by five days. He is he is not being traded this year. He's I not being traded this year. All right. No. no. All right. Well, then talk to me about what you wrote with the LeBron thing. Basically, you, you think this offseason there's a chance he's moved. Yeah, so – it's going to depend on the rest of the year. I think last night he had an insane game on his 38th yeah. birthday, like 40-something points and near triple-double. So it was part of the reason why I wrote it is because he's still a really good basketball player despite yeah. being as old as he is. Um, so I just – I can't picture LeBron having another lost season this deep into his career, right? Or at least playing on a team where he's playing with like – Lonnie Walker and no disrespect to Lonnie Walker, but like Lonnie Walker and Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder. And like, these are the guys he has to work with. And Anthony Davis is just a constant when he's healthy. It's great. And he looks like the best player in basketball for 10 to 15 games. And then he's gone for two months and the season goes to shit because their cap is tied up and basically well, three guys with Russell Westbrook, but he'll be out of there. But I just I don't think anything about how the Lakers have run the team since LeBron got there suggests that they're a serious, well-run organization. The fact that Rob Palenka got an extension in the midst of all this is kind of insane to me. Well, also Tom, they, they've literally won a title with LeBron. Because I yeah, saying, but they also have won a championship. Right? Yeah, but and like even that one, people discount because it was it's like oh, they won it in the bubble and and all that stuff. So. Like, let's say this is just another disaster season for the Lakers and they get to the offseason and they don't really have a big move to make. Mm-hmm. If you're LeBron, 
and you you've given this quote about you know it's in my dna at this point i want to compete for titles and the ability to do, to do that has a huge impact on you know my desire to keep playing deep into my you know deep into my 30s potentially into my early to mid 40s well then he has to look elsewhere and you think about the potential teams you would go to like i don't think if we were creating a, a ranking of all 30 teams I think the Sixers are probably not in like the top three or four. If I had to guess, who would you put ahead of them? So here's how I'm thinking about this from a, from LeBron's mind, like knowing how he operates and how he thinks. I think he's doing one of a few things. He's either trying to stay in LA. So he's pushing for a Clippers move. (laughs) Which would feel unlikely. He's going back to Cleveland, which, you know, he's already done that. And I don't think that's the, I don't think they can get him without kind of nuking what makes that team good, but you know, he might do it anyway, just because he gets to go home. Yeah. Or he's chasing the biggest carrot possible, which is winning a title somewhere where it's going to be like a legacy defining title. And as the Sixers might get close there, because they haven't won since the early eighties, obviously. And you know, he would be seen as, this guy was the missing piece, pushed them over the top. I think the big one to chase is you go to the Knicks and yeah. you try to win a title for the Knicks because like that Bill Simmons had a point years and years ago now where he said, like, you know, like not every MVP trophy should be weighted the same. Sometimes there are like four or five guys who are having insane years and it's like a 25 pound trophy. Sometimes somebody wins it by default and it's like a a five pound trophy Mm -hmm. winning any title for the New York Knicks is a 25 pound NBA finals trophy. And so I, I think if he's going to move and chase like a, a legacy defining title win, like that's the type of thing you do. But if you're looking at the group, like behind that top one, and actually weirdly enough, I think golden state might be, high up there too because he has made some pointed comments about like if there's any one guy he could play with in the league it's steph curry you want to talk and, about a five pound trophy though oh right like it's the same <laughs> thing with when yeah. durant was there right when he won there it's like oh great they they won but that's what they were supposed to do so but it, you know if he's not caring about that and it's more what gives me the best chance to add more titles by you know any means necessary maybe that's it mm-hmm. but then right behind them are the sixers i think behind that like top group you say all right he thought about coming to philly in free agency years ago daryl is a star hunting gm like that's what drives his whole thought process building teams joel's in his prime james is probably better suited to be in like a hybrid two three on the important scale type guy at this point. Same with LeBron. Like as good as LeBron is, you don't want him to be boss to the wall needing to score like a 30 point triple double every night. Yeah. And you know, the concerns would be that they're injury prone or older and all that kind of stuff that you don't, a big three with these guys would be pretty tough. But the flip side of that is it, you don't, it almost work in the opposite way where you can use LeBron and James Harden to potentially like give Joel rest minutes or Embiid and James Harden to give LeBron rest minutes on a night. Like there are some nights where two of those guys are going to play more. 
and carry the load. And the other guy's just going to get to, you know, maybe not take the night off, but they at least are getting some uh, old school load management as uh, as Doc likes. To yeah, say. they they would earn earn some minutes off. Um, and plus, you would get Bronny, you'd get Bronny Junior. So that could be your next young piece that you. Uh, well, and then, but so the other part of it is, it's a pretty easy path to making the deal. You basically you trade Tobias and. Now the sticking point is what is LeBron worth on the trade market at age 38 and going mm-hmm. on 39 next off season. And in the thing I wrote, I tossed in Tyrese's name because that is obviously who LA would be after in this scenario. But I think the Sixers would be pretty reluctant to give him up. Like, I think they try to get it done with like Tobias and, you know, Matisse or Tobias and, well, I guess not Matisse because he'll be on a, a new deal and probably traded by that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, he'll be gone. Um, but Tobias and somebody to make the money match and maybe a draft pick rather than Tobias and Tyrese. Because that's at the point, if you trade Tyrese and you get like one year of that group and it all falls apart, that's when they're probably stripping things down to the nails. And Yeah, like they're going through the, the new... Yeah, yeah. But that's also part of the appeal, I think, right? It's like if you make a move like that, and it doesn't have to be for LeBron, but if you make a a push your chips to the middle of the table move and you go after a a veteran and it's basically a a one run, we see what we got, and they fail or they don't go further than they have, and then it's like, all right, we should just blow the whole thing up. And it's probably better to know that than to make these like half-measure moves that the next few years you're just kind of stuck in in no man's land. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be great if you don't take big swings, bottom line. So I, I think your, your point about that is true. From the LeBron thing, uh, I didn't think about the Knicks. I think that would be an interesting one. I do wonder if LeBron going to Los Angeles as a legacy-type play for him where he was like, well, I'm just so good, I'll go there and we'll figure it out, and having it not work out there would maybe make him more reluctant just to pick based off of the things you talked about. I agree that that's his mentality. I think he would think I'll go to Cleveland for legacy. I'll go to New York to win a 25 pound trophy. I also wonder if he would look at those situations and go, it's going to be way harder to win there. Whereas the Sixers are in a very unique situation where they have a salary in Tobias. That's easy to trade, but not a super important piece. A lot of teams don't have that. And they also have a young player that's extremely appealing but also not a super important piece. So you talk about Cleveland, they have good young players, but it's going to be hard for them to get him without giving up a super important piece. Whereas the Sixers, he slides right in so perfectly as, as the role fits perfectly, the trade fits perfectly. I think the Philadelphia market is, is like just big enough that it counts. I don't think he views it. I'm sure he's not super excited to practice at the facility in Camden. That's probably not high up his list of things (laughs) he wants to do. But it is the Sixers. It's kind of a legacy franchise. It's a huge sports town. I'll be interested to see how fans would react to him. I think he can be a bit annoying sometimes. And maybe in Philly that wouldn't play like it does in other markets. But I think the Sixers, and they have been for a while, they're uniquely set up to take him because of Embiid and now with Harden. Harden fits in well. And wasn't there a rumor last year that, or maybe before that Harden wanted to play with LeBron? Maybe I'm completely misremembering. Uh, I don't remember that, but I wouldn't be shocked if that yeah, was a, a thing at some point. He's been linked with everyone. But look, in the offseason, to your point, they're good. They're clearly going to give this a one more run with Joel Harden and, and probably Maxi. But if it doesn't work, there is something refreshing about going, you know what? We'll bring LeBron in. It'll be exciting. We'll give this one more swing. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. 
Well, let's be clear. There's no like we're bringing LeBron in. It's it's LeBron chose us. Yes, like, that's all it. That's well, all that's it comes part down of the trade, to. Too is yeah. if LeBron says I'm going to Philly, and for what it's worth, Maxi having the same agent might help here. It might just be he goes to the Lakers. Look, I came to your loser franchise when you had nothing going. I won you a title. You're going to trade me for Tobias and whatever, and that's how it's going to play. It, could, yeah. it really could go like that. Yeah. Now, the flip side of this that I want to acknowledge, one, he's old, and yes. he gets hurt more than he used to. Two, I don't know that it's the greatest basketball fit. Like, I think there's a there might be, like, a too many cooks situation there. It's just James and – James and LeBron trying to figure out who's handling the ball and who's doing what. That's sort of a weird James being an off ball guy is not exactly like his uh, comfort zone. Joel certainly like having to defer in big moments and figuring out now you're not just sharing the ball with, you know, one ball dominant star, but two. And then like, there's very not even sneaky potential. There's very obvious potential for like, I think LeBron at his peak was a great defender, but him and James mailing it in in the regular season on defense would be like apocalyptic bad on some yes, nights. And then you add Joel's tendency to just like come and go effort and attention wise on both ends. And there are going to be some games that are just like, holy shit, these guys are bad. And Unless they have think like, still yeah. Bad. And like, what are, what are we doing here? Why am I watching this crap? Like there'd be some, There'd definitely be some moments like that. But, you know, I tend to think these guys would be talented and smart enough to make it work. Now, again, I don't think this is actually going to happen. But the moment moment that LeBron makes a quote like that, like nobody is as media savvy or at least like in tune with what his words mean than LeBron, right? Like he's been – at the center of the league and in the spotlight for so long that he knows everything he says is a potential means to manipulate people or like get a message out there without needing to be direct and and abrasive about it. So I think that is officially, you know, kind of putting the Lakers on notice and who knows, we'll see what happens when it's, you know, mid June, we're approaching free agency or we're approaching the draft when a lot of big trades tend to go down and don't, don't completely rule it out. I'd say it's a very small chance, but it's uh, it's still something that, that could happen. Last question for you before you wrap this up off of the LeBron thing a little bit, but as trade season does approach and there's possibilities of adding guys, I'm curious for your opinion on this. Do you think Joel is okay playing second fiddle? Because the part of LeBron coming in would be he's LeBron. He would be as big as Joel is in Philly, and he's the process, and he's the franchise and everything. He's LeBron, right? If they were to somehow be able to get Damian Lillard or whoever, do you think Joel deep down is actually okay with playing second fiddle? Or do you think he is very much, you know, wants to win, but also wants to be the guy, clearly wants the MVP very badly, as we've seen. I'm just curious from you knowing him well, do you think he's actually okay moving into a different role other than the, what he's in as the main guy. I don't think so, but I think that's also because there are so few guys in the league at this point who are like clearly able to walk into a team and be like, yeah, so, I should be the guy. Yes. Like like if, if he was Joel from a few years ago and they had brought in James Harden of a few years ago, 
maybe we just see a totally different trajectory for Joel. But I think he, because he has been the guy and has ascended to this point where, look, he's he's leading the entire NBA in scoring and he's doing it efficiently. And he's led the team that's in you know the top three to five teams in the league in defense. And he can point to all these things and be like, who the hell is walking in here and telling yeah. me that I shouldn't be the guy? Like, I think he has earned that. I, I Like, people would look at that as like, well, that's why he's not going to win. Like, he should be able to sacrifice for whoever. Like, what has anybody who has come in here done to say, like, it should be my team? Like, this is a good stretch for James, but he has not consistently produced results in the same way that Joel has over, you know, years of time at this point. We're still waiting to see if this is just a blip for James Harden or if this is, you know, new normal. And then maybe, like, maybe we get to a point where it is a true, like, 50-50 split and James gets to do a lot of his favorite stuff at the end of games. But, you know, I, I think at least for now, unless you make a trade for a Kevin Durant-type guy, which I don't think is going to happen. No, now with the Nets playing as well, too. Yeah. I, I think that Joel has earned the right to feel that way. Now, again, the, the pressure that comes with that is you have to deliver. And so you become the center of attention when we have these conversations about why is the crunch time offense bogging down? Why aren't they competing hard to start games or whatever? They're in the middle of games. Why aren't they rebounding better? It's why I have constantly throughout this season tried to tell people like you want to blame doc but like to me it's got to be about joel this yes. is joel's team this is more joel and beads franchise than it is doc rivers and so if he comes in and sets a tone every day and we know that he can we've seen it happen in, in different games and stretches everybody else is going to follow. So I think he's earned the right to have that position, but I think he has to take that position seriously. And, you know, that's ultimately going to determine where this team ends up. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think that maybe Joel will reach a point where he realizes now your point about them getting another player as good as him is, is a great one because there's probably only, I don't know, Luca, like I'm trying to think how many guards could legit come in here and be like, I deserve to dominate the ball more than you do. But ultimately, we talked about this, you know, midway through this pod. It's just tough when your best player is a center. And I wonder if he would end up realizing if he takes a step back. But I think you'd have to get a pretty talented uh, guard to do that. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up, unfortunately. I actually have to wrap Christmas presents for Kristen because we have not exchanged them yet. I know. Oh, man. Very weird. Well, so we went away for Christmas and um, I... Basically, I'm now making excuses for myself, but I didn't order the gifts because I didn't want them to get stolen off our porch. And so I was like, I'll wait until we get back. I have this irrational fear. I don't know if you feel this way living in the city. We've literally lived here a year and never got one package stolen. But when I just had one stolen recently. So yeah. I'm going to add to your fear. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to sit on my porch the rest of my life. But it's it's the most helpless feeling when I'm sitting at home and it's or I'm like at the studio or whatever at WIP. And they're like, a package is coming. I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to cross my fingers and pray that nobody yeah. has to take it. Because it's just sitting there for anybody to take. So bottom line, I waited to order the gifts until we got back from Christmas. And so now they finally arrived. So we're going to do like a, a New Year's Christmas celebration. But I have to wrap the presents is, is ultimately where this comes down at. 
All right, well, get on it, Elliot. You're already <laughs> late on the gifts, so uh, I know, not good get to work. All right, well, this has been another episode of the Clap Your Hands podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This will be our last episode, of course, of this year. So as I end every pod, but especially with this pod, I hope everybody has a great New Year's. Appreciate everyone that's listened to the episode so far. If you haven't already, you can download that Odyssey app and all the episodes come to you first. Leave a five-star review with a good question. I'll make sure Kyle gets it. And thanks again to everybody that's uh, been listening in. Kyle, I, uh, I hope you have a great New Year as well. And we'll talk soon. Obviously, the Sixers just keep on playing. They play tonight. So there will not be a shortage of stuff to talk about. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to give you the cliche uh, dad joke. I'll see you next year, buddy. Oh, man. Just <laughs> beautiful. Can't, can't do anything better than that. All right, guys. Talk to you guys next time.